0: Welcome to episode 35 of the Under Further Review podcast with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And we also have our favorite furry co host, Rufio, here with us today. He's staring out the window at the moment. So. <laughs> but, uh, he, but he might make an appearance later. He may. If you hear heavy breathing in the background, it's not us. <laughs> <laughs> Um, So I think we're going to kick this week's episode off. We have a lot to talk about um, this week. There just seems to have been a lot going on with people behaving badly. Um, But our first uh, story is actually not really about people behaving badly, just a...
1: um, Maybe a urologist behaving badly, I suppose.
0: So um, Antonio Cromartie, who uh, used to play in the NFL, I think he has since retired, although that might have been a mistake considering he has... (laughs) 14 children that he has to uh, pay for their care and upkeep. Um, He just recently became father to child number 14, a little girl named Jet, with an H, Paxton Cromartie. Um, Now this wouldn't be particularly notable except that this is the third child that Antonio Cromartie has had after having a vasectomy. um, Which raises so many questions. Yes, Not the least of which is... How was the vasectomy so unsuccessful? <laughs> and does he have a cause of action against the doctor that did it?
1: Yes. So, in researching this story, it was surprising to me to find out that vasectomies are not failure-proof. I mean, they are—they don't always work—and um, that they, like, one bodies can be miraculous and like they can heal themselves basically if it's the like, the version where it's the. Um, the tube is cut because like the scar tissue can form, it can grow back, like it can basically reconnect itself. That I found really distressing. The second kind I think is the, at least from the report that I read, was the kind of vasectomy that he had, which is like some sort of clip. So the tube is not actually cut, I think it's just clipped. So there could have been a failure of the clip, but in the research, um, basically, when you have your vasectomy, you're supposed to follow up with your doctor several times afterwards so you can figure out exactly, like, what sperm count you have. Like, so a zero sperm count does not necessarily mean that there's no sperm, but there's just, like, a great deal less sperm um, than you had before your vasectomy. Um, but but it only it takes is one, so, right. right? And apparently he just has, like...
0: Really persistent. He's just very determined in <laughs> yes. everything he does. Yeah. Um, what I, and I guess, so the first two children he had after the vasectomy, it was a set of twins. Mm-hmm. So I suppose if you look at it that way. It's just
1: two births or two pregnancies. Right,
0: but still, like after the first one, wouldn't you, you know, been mm-hmm. concerned? There is, uh, there were reports after the twins were born that his wife, who was also the mother of his most... Re- His youngest child um, said she was going to have her tubes tied, whether that happened or not. um, I don't think we looked into the uh, rates of success for that particular surgery. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just, I mean, I don't know. I guess you have a kid, it's exciting and you're happy about it, so you're maybe not thinking about suing your doctor. But it just seems as though um, this is like a big surgery to have gone through only to have it be unsuccessful.
1: Yes, so um, I think that there are various, so various states have various um, abilities for individuals to recover as a result of this, but in any event, vasectomies still have like the lowest uh, failure rate of any sort of form of contraception. So it's like Mm -hmm. a one in 2,000 chance of pregnancy, which I'm like, that sounds kind of high to me, but apparently that's like the lowest, aside from abstinence. And I'm not a proponent of abstinence. I'm just saying, like, (laughs) clarification on this record. Um, So, in some states, you can get like full recovery, um, or zero recovery, because it's against public policy that, like, basically, like, you know, like you don't want to make a doctor pay for the care and upkeep of a child for like 18 years, things like that. There are partial recovery states. um, So, and it's just. The partial recovery states, I think, are the ones that just make uh, the doctors pay for the medical care of the pregnancy and the childbirth, but then it stops after that. Um, but and I don't know. And he might not actually have a cause of action against the doctor. He might. He might for the people who produce the clips, if that's the case. But I guess. I'm assuming that his urologist is on the up and up and when he sat down and said I want a vasectomy the urologist went through like okay here's the program like you need to come back and see me once every month for six months so we can do the sperm count no. thing and make sure that you have zero sperm and
0: and I don't know whether or not mr. Cromartie followed up with that or mr. Cromartie has gone on video unable to remember all of his children's names Um, which is not meant as a judgment against people who have a lot of children, but more like if you're going to have a lot of children, fucking remember their names. (laughs) Um, so his level of responsibility, I think, I'm just not sure it's quite there. So maybe he forgot to go. and (laughs) forgot a doctor's appointment. And honestly, he and his wife seem pretty chill about the whole thing. So maybe they're just not that bothered by it. Yeah, maybe. It's just, yeah,
1: it's, it's just really strange, um, that they seem like, well, I mean, I don't I think that if you found out that you were pregnant and you wanted to terminate the pregnancy, you've, right, you know, she, she had those she had options. Yes, besides. before having a yeah. kid.
0: And um. now they have a reality show, The Cromarties. So <laughs> maybe this is all just fodder for their television.
1: That would be that would be sad if Jed Paxton were like produced to the world as as more entertainment.
0: Yeah. Um. Yeah. So it sounds like if he decided he wanted to um seek some kind of recovery from the doctor there might be some options depending on what state he's Susan. Yes. Do
1: you know where they live? I
0: don't off the top of my head. I'm not sure. Um he used I think he last played for the New York Jets and a lot of this information came out of the um new york post shocking that they would report on a salacious story um, so i don't know if they're based in new york or um somewhere else i'm not sure where okay. he is from up or and, went yeah. to college so
1: so like texas for example is a limited recovery state um and florida uh is a little different in that it's a wrongful birth wrongful life recovery state which is
0: awkward I've heard is. of these these lawsuits before in different contexts. Like, um, probably shouldn't be talking off the top of my head about this, but I think there was a story of a lesbian couple who had a child through artificial insemination and the child ended up, was born biracial, and so that was obviously not the sperm they picked. And I only say obviously because they thought they were picking a white man, not because obviously they wouldn't want to have a, a partially African-American child. Anyway just felt like that came out awkward <laughs> and I'm just making it worse now, but <laughs> remember racism is bad. <laughs> racism is really bad. But anyway, they sued my recollections that they sued for wrongful birth mm. because like, this wasn't the baby they had planned on having, oh. but that seems like kind of, there was a lot of controversy about this that like you had a healthy baby. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't what you had been expecting, I guess, but what's the complaint here? Mm-hmm. And they just felt like it was really, you know, I suppose if they had screwed up the sperm with a white person, so it wouldn't have been obvious that the baby was not the the donor that they had selected. Mm -hmm. I don't know what would have happened, but... um, That's very true. Anyway, that's my uh, recollection of where I've heard of wrongful birth before. The
1: other context that wrongful birth suits happen is that if the doctor, if a doctor fails to warn um, expecting parents of an existence or risk of an abnormality, and so then that does not provide the expecting parents with the ability to make an educated decision about um, the, their child and, and, um, and their fetus, and, and all of those things. So that's I think that's probably the more common context about wrongful birth. Um, but I think when I was doing the reading for this, um, there have been two successful suits for these uh, failed vasectomies. And I don't know the context or any of the backstory, but it seemed to be like, a successful suit against a urologist for a failed vasectomy is not something that happens often. So there's only just the two. So um, yeah, well, happy happy for them. Congratulations on Jet Paxton. Um,
0: One of their kids is named Jadore.
1: Yes, <laughs> after J Lo's perfume. Uh,
0: or like or, Jadore Dior. Oh, no. d- yeah. Sorry. Um, anyway. Hmm. Oh, they're all J's. But, I was looking up their his Wikipedia page oh. to see if we could figure out where he lived. Oh,
1: um, is his first name start with? The, I mean, his first name is Antonio, right?
0: Yes. Okay. Uh, I just
1: decided J is the letter that I want to.
0: I guess, and it looks like both of their sons' their middle names are something hyphen Antonio.
1: Oh, all right. Uh, so that's Antonio Cromartie's uh, of maybe that's not relevant
0: to <laughs> not, anything we're talking about today, but carry on
1: (laughs) not so failed vasectomy um you know model top folks um our second story is actually kind of an interesting one it came to burke via pitchfork um but a celebrated polish technical death metal band has been like the band members have been arrested and charged
0: believe so
1: with kidnapping rape and false imprisonment and what else
0: I think that covers it. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, right, so this story uh well the the crime, alleged crime happened in Spokane, Washington after a concert that decapitated gave what a name for a band. Um
1: <laughs> They're a technical death metal band. What so is,
0: I, what's the difference between a technical death metal band and just a death metal band?
1: I'm not sure, but I know that technical is a subgenre of death metal. Got yes. it.
0: Okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the allegations stem from this incident that happened after a concert in Spokane, Washington, where a couple of women, um, went back on to decapitated tour bus. I guess one of the women, the details are a little bit sketchy, but one of the women, um, they, I think, one of the men on the bus tried to like make advances on her and she got upset and they threw her off the bus. And
1: she got in her car and drove away. She's <laughs>
0: left her friend on the bus, which like don't ever, do not leave your friends behind. <laughs> yeah. No friend left behind. There's
1: an exclamation point from, next to, she left her friend on the bus.
0: Exclamation point. Uh, it's not cool. Uh, yeah, no, that's super fucked up. Like don't leave your friend on a bus with creepy... Yeah death metal yeah well i mean don't leave them alone with weird men anyway yeah well
1: especially when the man like that she was when she got thrown off the bus she got thrown off the bus because she was like no i'm not giving you a blowjob And he like shoved her on the ground so like there can't be good things happening to her friend no
0: and so what apparently did happen to her friend was that the um members of the band took turns having sex with her in the bus bathroom which gross yeah Aside from any criminal action, just, ugh, that sounds horrifying. So, um, they,
1: they threw, like, so after that, they threw her off the bus, the, the woman who was allegedly gang raped. She ended up calling, I think, 911 on our phone. I believe that's And she correct. was, um, I'm assuming she was picked up by the police, like, two miles from the venue, uh, and police took photographs and she had uh injuries consistent with being grabbed and, and like her story. So decapitated was now in Los Angeles when all of these details came out and they were just performing in Santa Ana <laughs> or maybe that they were pulled over in Santa Ana and that's where they were arrested and then arraigned in um a Los Angeles
0: County Superior Court. Right, and they are I think at this point they may still be awaiting um extradition to Washington. Correct. Um, there, are uh, of course, because the internet is a cesspool, a lot of people are just saying that this woman is nothing more than a crazy groupie and she's pissed off that they threw her off the bus and nothing criminal happened here. Um, that certainly seems like that is not the case. Um, this whole story sounds really awful. Um, none of these guys, as far as I can tell, speak English, so there was an issue with getting translators, translators. in. Um, Did and maybe we... they weren't able to totally explain what happened, but that's, um, I'm sure we'll hear more about that as the weeks go by. I
1: don't know if we mentioned when oh. the story first started that they're a Polish technical death metal band, so they're from Poland. Oh, yes,
0: <laughs> sorry. They are, yeah, they are traveling here from Poland, um, so presumably uh, they will be deported back to Poland after this whole incident is I'm assuming so. I mean, it didn't
1: seem like they were here to stay anyways. Anyway. But they did have a translator when they were arraigned. So, um, yeah. That's just that's just craziness. I am not a death metal person, so I've never heard of decapitated.
0: No, I'd never heard of them before either until the story from Pitchfork popped up in my Facebook feed. Um, and... I am a big fan of another podcast called My Favorite Murder, so I initially thought when I saw decapitated in the <laughs> headline, that's what it was talking about, but no, this is just a, just a band. Um, so yeah, they will presumably be sent back to Washington once the extradition process plays itself out. Um, you do have, usually in criminal cases, you have the ability to waive Hearing on extradition, so I don't know if this is a sign that they're fighting being sent back to Washington, or they just haven't processed things. yet. Oh, yeah, that um, I
1: don't know. You're right. Um, the, the yeah, the article I read is this. They were, oh no, the article I read is that they've agreed to extradition to Washington. Okay,
0: so the story um, I read yesterday said they're still awaiting extradition, mm-hmm. so it could just be that they haven't been. Yeah, they haven't been moved. Been sent yeah. back yet. They are being held without bail. Yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, I wonder if their passports have been revoked. Um,
1: yeah. Well, I guess if you're being held without bail, you're not leaving the jail. So that's true. It's Can't not like you really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. I bet if they were released on either bond or of their own recognizance, then they probably would have revoked their passports because they could have just fled back to Poland and.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, At least they wouldn't be our problem anymore. But <laughs> so,
1: yeah. Yeah, but like you just can't leave your friend. Like I'm sorry. No, like,
0: and you know, this reminds me of a friend of mine and I went to a concert when we were in college and the artist was like chatting my friend up and was trying to get her to go back on his bus. And I was like, this seems like a terrible, I mean, she was also thinking this was a terrible idea, but yeah, that's just the instinct. You shouldn't leave your yeah, friends alone right. on <laughs> creepy buses with creepy men. Um yeah, Ugh, Yeah. it's, I mean, obviously it's not her friend's fault that all of this happened, but it does seem like a really poor decision to just drive <laughs> off and leave your friend on the bus. Yeah, she
1: was eventually pulled over for, um, like, suspicion of drunk driving, because I think she might have been inebriated, or she could have been scared, although I think that I did read that both of them, not a judgment, not saying that they're asking for it, but just factually that they were drinking on the bus. Um, So she got pulled over, and when she was pulled over, she was trying to explain to the officer that she'd left her friend on the decapitated tour bus, and he was, like, giving, he, I'm assuming, I don't know, the officer (laughs) was giving her the sobriety test, and he's like, yeah, 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 tell me your story, and eventually, then, I think it was, like, a coincidence that the 911 call came, and, like, that's how it happened, but she's, like, doing her sobriety test like no no no, my friend's on the decapitated
0: tour bus i don't know what's happening to her so she like going to get help maybe when she drove off i don't know maybe we're being really mean to this lady and she was trying to help a friend out but it doesn't seem like but i mean but i guess at some point maybe she also didn't
1: know what was happening to her friend if they were in Uh, separate parts of the bus like if the woman was being raped in the bathroom and she was like in some other part she wouldn't know like maybe she thought her friend was having a good time maybe like a consensual good time yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry
0: um yeah i guess we have so many questions and she could have just called the cops right if she yeah cell phone like mm-hmm. don't drive off just
1: yeah call exactly help. or like maybe follow the bus at a distance so you know where the bus is like so yeah. when the cops do respond and be like they're on highway 10 or whatever yeah. out of spokane I don't, I don't know if that's a real highway out of spokane
0: uh-huh. get involved in a in a slow speed chase in the <laughs> bus. it's fine <laughs> it's fine
1: Um, So we have, so the first, our first stories are like totally unrelated. There's no good way of going from um, vasectomies to decapitation or decapitated to our third story, which involves Jessica Biel and um, her wage and hour problems. Oh yeah.
0: So Jessica Biel, um, um, beyond just being a, um, you know, middle of the road actress and the wife of uh, Justin Timberlake, she also is a co-owner of a restaurant in... um, L.A. called O-Fudge, but it's A-U-O, um, and it's, like, supposed to be family-friendly. I think it's, like, a theme, uh, from a book, because one of the other co-owners was listed as author of uh, O-Fudge, but I didn't research that any further, um, because it's not really relevant to the legal issues surrounding the case, um, but what happened is, um, the restaurant, in addition to serving you know normal meal service, does private events. Um, very typically for the restaurant industry, I think, um, they, they include a service charge uh, as part of the bill for private events that the uh, people hosting the event will pay. The assumption or implication is that that money is then split as basically a tip yes. um, amongst the people who served them. So you don't have to pay a separate check exactly. when you're done to the people who are serving you. Like when you go with a large party to a restaurant mm-hmm. and you have like an automatic service charge included, the that money is meant to go to the wait staff and the servers who took care of you. Mm-hmm. Um, turns out that O-Fudge, well the allegation I guess, is that O-Fudge um, has been withholding those tips and service charges. Um, to the tune of nearly half a million dollars, <laughs> yeah. um, and it's nine employees who have sued the um, Jessica Beale and the other co-owners of Oh Fudge. Excuse me. Um, the uh, employees are also claiming that the restaurant shorted them thirty-two thousand dollars worth of time in state-mandated rest breaks in the state of California. Um, If you're working more than four hours, you're entitled to a 15-minute paid rest break. If you're Mm -hmm. working eight hours, it's basically you get a 15-minute paid rest break for every four hours of work. Yes, and
1: then an unpaid meal break if it's eight hours. Right.
0: Or is it six hours? I think, it's six I think it's six hours. Usually people work in blocks, like, yeah. eight-hour shifts. So. Um, and um, the idea of the rest breaks is you get a break if the expectation that you had, like, an extended period of work before the break, and you are going to have an extended period of work after the break. Um, so. And a million dollars in punitive damages. Yes. Do I've never dealt with a private sector like wage and hour issue. Do you get like trouble damages? In? If it's willful, Okay, yeah. And trouble damages is triple damages for um, those of you who don't speak lawyer. Um, so basically that just means that in some cases you say this is the actual amount of money that I lost from owed. And then I get to put a factor of three on that for my suffering or... Correct. Yes. the fact
1: that you were willfully withholding yeah. as opposed to negligently withholding like if i um if you told me i couldn't go on a break and that was a policy of the restaurant like so obviously mm-hmm. it was willfully withholding your break right. as opposed to like you were just really busy that one shift and you didn't get to take it i'm not and, and you didn't tell me i I, and I forgot to pay you yeah you know like i did pay you 15 minutes extra or something like that that is you know, an isolated incident. There's, like, safe harbor provisions, wage and hours, just all kinds of crazy stuff. But um, I thought the most interesting thing about the whole um, oh fudge thing was that, so these private events that they hold there, uh, so parties of $100,000 or more, there's, like, a 22% gratuity. So they have been a very popular spot, which is how I think they got up to the half a million dollar number, like, Mm -hmm. really fast. So, um, but (laughs) I... So they do... Basically, so I don't know if you saw the interview with uh, Jimmy Kimmel that Jessica Biel had. No, I have not so seen So it that. was one from earlier in the year, and she was talking about the restaurant and about how it hasn't really broken even yet. And, like, restaurant business is notoriously yeah. difficult to, like, make money. Um, but uh, this is sort of... Um, advertises a place where like grown ups can go and basically like shove their kids in a room with like all pairs that they have on staff to watch their kids while they like have a cocktail or a meal. And so Jimmy Kimmel made this comment like, yeah, I really love your place. It's like you go check your kids and then you can go and have dinner. Um,
0: Yikes. Yeah.
1: (laughs) But there are like activities for kids. There's like a calendar. If you look on their website, like there's like kid drum circle, karaoke nights, slumber movies. So you can go and like your kids can watch a movie while you presumably have dinner with your friends. Um, They have like yoga classes for little kids, soccer it's uh intense. It's intense. Like the little cottage industry. For a while I couldn't figure out if it was O fudge or maybe like gold fudge because it's like the
0: it's c- chemical oh, symbol. It. So yeah. Sure. So
1: I was like, hmm, is it O fudge or not? So um, I'm glad you cleared that up for me.
0: No problem. Um and I apparently some of the claims in the case are that the issue about the withholding of tips was brought up to management and they blamed it on like a another manager who is just like a single bad actor, and they fired that person. Except that they still never paid. They never, the yeah. Tips. Um, and it probably doesn't look good that Jessica Biel is like on the record saying that we have we're not breaking even, mm-hmm. if they were withholding this money.
1: Yeah. So I did not know, and I only found this out recently from someone who used to work in the service industry, like you know, when you sit down and you get your restaurant bill, like, I hardly ever carry cash, so I always pay most of my restaurant bills with a credit card, and so you either, like, you can tip in cash, which people frequently do, or you just write in, like, a tip, um, so the person that was, I was talking to about this said that, like, those credit card tips they don't get cashed out at the end of the night, he actually gets another, like, quote-unquote paycheck that, like, accumulates all of those credit card tips over like a two week period and he just gets like a second check that has that. So I didn't know that. I always thought it was like the end of the night sort of thing, at least from my experience. But
0: And I know that they there are some places, and I don't think this is legal, but maybe it is, that they'll deduct the credit card fees mm-hmm. from the tips. Yeah. So that's why it is often recommended that you leave your tips in cash mm-hmm. if you have it. Um but then there was a controversy did we talk about this already? Now I can't remember what uh, restaurant it was, where if you split your... Che- like, a lot of checks will mm-hmm. have at the bottom, like, you know, 15% is this, 18% is whatever, yeah. 20% is something else. If you split the check and you then get your two separate checks each person signs, those tips don't change. They're still based off of the, the total, total number. number, mm-hmm. And so people will not be paying attention and just look at the bottom of their check, write down the tips, and they end up leaving, like, these enormous tips. Mm-hmm. Um, and those customers, I guess, are suing... Um, but now I can't remember what restaurant it is. Damn it. That's really
1: odd because I'm like you get your new credit card, you get the credit card slip with a different amount in it. You can do the math in your own head. Really, it's not that hard, like 10 to 20%. Like.
0: I mean, maybe you're giving some people too much credit. I don't know, that yeah. does seem like it's a, that's the price you pay for being an idiot that you are now giving a double tip, <laughs> yeah. but whatever.
1: Yeah, so that that was the, that was that's how the whole conversation I had about the tips came up, which is, do they deduct mm-hmm. the credit card fee out of, and he said where he worked, no. Oh, well that's so, nice. Yeah, so I felt I felt a little better about that Um, so yeah so Jessica so the complaint was just filed they'll have a chance to answer uh, wage and hour cases are difficult in that um, obviously everybody's work schedule in terms of those denied overtime and break meal break issues are different because of you know shifts and maybe it's it and those are they're not necessarily difficult to prove but unless you've been keeping a running diary of exactly every day that you were denied your break you know, it's hard to sort of recreate, and a lot of times these do happen as class actions because they're similarly similarly situated plaintiffs. Um, but um, so that's all going to play out probably in the next months unless they settle early because of the bad publicity for Jessica Beale and O'Fudge Fudge and and all of that. But it's a lot of. I mean, the claim, the whole claim itself is over six million dollars, so that's a lot of. <laughs> that's a big number yeah yeah it's especially for nine people
0: yeah that's a huge number and I don't think it's gonna do anything to help this business uh, succeed so <laughs> no really
1: um, I was recently we just recently settled a wage and hour claim for one of our clients um, and it was a class of 50 people but I think the total damages when we did all of the calculations over a so the four-year period was like $7 million, so this is certainly, I mean, a much smaller class. Nothing to sneeze at. Yeah. Yeah. Well, good luck,
0: Jessica Beale. Mm-hmm. Maybe don't steal people's tips. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so our fourth story, um, okay, totally unrelated to any of the other three, but we are going to talk about um, Jamel Hill and... Uh, what happened to some Detroit Lions fans.
0: Uh, So if if you've been living under a rock for the past week, then you probably don't know who Jamel Hill is. But um, for the rest of you... Uh, She is a uh, host on ESPN, I think most notably at this point, um, the 6PM Sports Center, um, which she co-hosts with a guy by the name of Michael Smith, who used to write for the Boston Globe. I don't think he does that anymore. I think he just works for ESPN at this point. Um, They also have, I think they still have a show, His and Hers, Mm -hmm. um, that they have, possibly on ESPN2. I should really know more of this. But in any event, uh, her name has kind of come into uh, the news recently because of some tweets that she sent out. She was being tweeted at by um, some other folks on Twitter, and uh, those tweets caused her to respond, uh, Donald Trump is a white supremacist, and he surrounds himself with white supremacists. Um, The tweets went on from there, but that is the one that seems to have caused... um, sensitive white people the most uh, uh, upset in this I guess Um, so she was disciplined in some sort of unarticulated way Uh,
1: my understanding was that she um, she she's gonna talking to Yeah, so she got some sort of like verbal reprimand or a counseling in (laughs) in like the parlance that we use every day from uh, the higher ups at ESPN over these
0: tweets, and um, I guess it's not unusual that they would be on. Unspec- uh, they would the press release from ESPN lacks specificity. Usually, you don't talk about confidential personnel matters mm-hmm. in the public. Um, Jamel Hill has a right to have that kept private. Yep. Um, so they issued that press release. Mm-hmm. Then um, <laughs> Sarah Huckabee Sanders the press secretary for the White House, decided to use her platform as an employee of the government and a spokesperson for the president to say that Jamel Hill's tweets were a fireable offense. Um, She has not been fired, Jamel Hill, um, although apparently ESPN did try to keep her off the air the night that the whole controversy kind of blew up, Mm -hmm. um, and her colleagues I think setting aside... I can kind of understand why they might not want her on the air that night, but what I thought was particularly disturbing is they only asked other black people to fill in for her as if, like, you can just slot one <laughs> in for the other and it's not going to make a difference. Um, it just the optics, if nothing else, are really bad on that. Um, but I think this raises sort of two issues. One, the First Amendment... Like, this is an actual First Amendment problem. This is a government official trying to shut Jamel Hill up And trying to tell a private company what its employees can and cannot say. So Mm -hmm. when we talk about, you have to have a government actor to have a First Amendment (laughs) problem. Here you go. (laughs) Um, We have government actors here. uh, And it is, you know, what I thought was interesting is that it seems like in a lot of other cases you've had you know, people only speak up when it's the person that they agree with being targeted, but I have seen a handful of folks that would be considered relatively conservative saying, like, I don't agree with anything Jamel Hill said, but I agree with her right to be able to say it, and it's Mm -hmm. really messed up that the president is trying to shut her down. Um, So, that's, I don't know that there's all that much more to...
1: Yeah, I mean, there's not, so there's that angle of the First Amendment issue, and so Sarah Huckabee Sanders has come out uh, and used her platform twice to try to get her fired, or at least to indicate that it, they believe it's a fireable offense. And 45 has also tweeted about firing the fact that it's a fireable offense. Right. Um,
0: and I think that's where the, the White House is now talking about um, the fact that Linda Cohn may have suffered some kind of discipline for saying in a radio interview that ESPN should stay away from politics. Mm-hmm. Um, neither ESPN nor Linda Cohn has confirmed that she actually was disciplined in any way, certainly not that she was suspended. Um, but they're saying that, I think the by they, I mean the uh, White House, is apparently arguing that it's not fair that Linda Cohn's getting in trouble. Except Linda Cohn literally, if, assuming that she said what she said, she criticized her employer. That's different than Mm -hmm. someone speaking on a matter of public interest on their own Twitter feed Um, although it certainly can cause issues with your employer and the nature of an at-will, although Jamel Hill probably has a contract with ESPN, but Mm -hmm. you know ESPN might be concerned about what she said, but I think there's a difference between criticizing the government and telling your employer that they're doing something wrong. So, yes. so comparing the two doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: So, from as Burke said, like the first, there's the First Amendment legal angle, no. and then there's also the employment yes. legal angle, no. which we just wanted to touch on a little bit because aside from the Linda Cohen example, people have brought up Kurt Schilling, uh, Bill Simmons, Dan Lebitard, Tony Kornheiser, who all have been disciplined um, and in Kurt Schilling's exam or case he was fired for some things that he said so uh, people like to make these comparisons all the time and it's it's just not cookie cutter it's never a situation where you can compare apples to apples because it's never that way so you know you have to look at the individual circumstances of each situation so Jamel Hill is not a reporter she's not a journalist per se now she used to be she, I think she Used to write for the Detroit Free Press, but she doesn't do that now. Mm -hmm. She is a personality on ESPN that delivers like opinion, um, funny stories, sometimes really personal tragic stories, but mostly like sports news. So we're not going to her and thinking of her in the same terms as we would, you know, the Washington Post or the New York Times for reporting news. This is her own personal Twitter feed that is not sponsored by ESPN, but she does use the fact that she has an audience from ESPN to reach more people. That is not anything that we dispute. But this is, um, as Burke said, unlike the Linda Cohen situation, this is not where she's criticizing ESPN, that she was making a statement about a public figure, which she has every right to do as a private citizen and as an employee of the company. Um, In terms of the Kurt Schilling stuff and the Bill Simmons and the Dan Levitard, Uh, as I said, like there is no two situations that are ever alike. um, And that's really important to note because, you know, for for example, Kurt Schilling came out and said a lot of very controversial things on his Facebook page. And
0: so it was, and and his statements could have been read as inciting violence. So he, I I can't remember if it was on his Facebook or his Twitter. I think it was on Twitter. He retweeted a picture of a guy who was wearing a t-shirt that that stated I can't remember exactly what the statement was but basically that like journalists should be hanged Um, that's (laughs) deeply problematic he also made comments about like literally burying Hillary Clinton alive Um, whatever your politics are that's really deeply troubling um, and it took multiple incidents of him doing this before he got fired.
1: And so that was my point, which is he was warned. Sorry,
0: I cut you off. No, that's
1: okay. So he had three incidents before he actually got fired from ESPN. The first two, I'm sure, were warnings and a suspension and the third one got him fired. So Bill Simmons... Um, was not He wasn't talking about anything political. He was criticizing Roger Goodell, which is literally the hand that feeds ESPN. Right. So that is tantamount to criticizing your employer, right? Understandable that ESPN would say, hey, you can't say this about one of our major, not even sponsors is the wrong word, but it's tantamount to being their sponsor. Yeah. Um, and this was, again, not the first time that Bill Simmons has had issues uh, related to criticisms that he's made of the NFL and Roger Goodell. So I think it was the second time he got suspended. Right. And
0: I thought he was, there was also, he kind of got censured, basically, where he was had to take a break from Twitter mm-hmm. um, as ordered by ESPN for comments he had made about um, uh, Goodell, yeah. I think. Um,
1: so, you know, and in this instance, I think a lot of people want to point out that this is arguably Jamel Hill's first offense So, Mm -hmm. like, a verbal warning, you know, a counseling is completely within the bounds of what would be acceptable for at least, you know, the clients that we deal with. Um, And, again, it is private, confidential personnel matters that don't need to be splashed. And I think it's just because ESPN has been in the headlines so much recently because of the layoffs and because of this, like supposed pivot towards the left and, and all of these things, and I think that's what's really gotten a lot of people all bent out of shape.
0: Right, and as sort of piggybacking off of that, with the the layoffs that happened, um, there were folks in sort of the uh, depths of the internet that were arguing that Jamel Hill and Michael Smith should have been part of those layoffs, and they only didn't get fired because of the color of their skin, mm-hmm. um, which I think is... Ridiculous. They are. I mean, for commentators, I find them much more pleasing to listen to than the Stephen S- A. Smiths of the world. He still has a job. No, I wish he got um, So, yeah, I, I think particularly, and because Jamel Hill is a woman and a person of color, I think that compounds things because it's mm-hmm. like, what the hell is a girl doing? Oh, talking, talking about, about sports. sports. Yep. Um, so she has been a target for a while. And, um, you know, this is just giving some people more adding fuel to the fire, which is really unfair. She's great at her job and, um, she spoke the truth. So (laughs) leave Jamel alone.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And even if she didn't speak the truth, like,
0: you know, that's, it's sort of the same thing. Like, sorry, she can, she can say what she wants to say. Mm You know, notice that no one is arguing that she um, defamed him <laughs> since truth is a absolute defense to a defamation claim yeah. and while in the same breath saying that Jamel Hill is speaking untruths about 45, um, he is continuing to say that there are fine people on both sides of the Charlottesville yes. debate. so he
1: is just bringing that up again <laughs> and I I mean I don't I have no words. Um, but there is an excellent article, I think, by Brian Curtis on The yes. Ringer about Jamel Hill. And if you haven't had a chance to read the, is it the white president? Is that what the, the, the first white president the first by ta Coates? Yes, in The Atlantic, you really should take the time to read both of those articles. And
0: there's also a wonderful. Um, article written by Rembert Brown on Bleacher Report, Colin Colin Kaepernick Kaepernick has a job um, And talks about his hometown visiting his hometown of Turlock. Yes um, Which is also a really great read.
1: Yeah, I have not
0: gotten to that one yet, but um, so There's
1: I mean the legal aspects of this. I think the First Amendment part is really interesting I don't think there's that much employment law fallout because you know she has been counseled or reprimanded or whatever and she's just going to move on and it's just the, the as you said in the dark corners of the internet this will live on and um, plague her and follow her for a while uh, which leads us to our next racism is bad story um, so recently at a Detroit Lions home game there was an individual who is still... I don't know that his identity has been disclosed, and I know for a fact it's a he, so I'm not making assumptions. Um, he posted on Snapchat... Yes. ...a picture of two individuals who are African-American who are sitting during the national anthem, and he said some really despicable things about... Uh, he called them ignorant, the N-word, right? hmm And some, did he say something else, too, in that little...
0: No, so that was the... Um... I don't use Snapchat, so I don't know what the technical term is, but, like, that was the word that was written over the Snapchat photo. But then I think he also, there was, like, a comment, and I don't know if he screenshotted it and posted it on Instagram, but he also had um, some other comments that were, like, marginally less offensive, but basically, like, I turn around and I see these ignorant fools sitting here. Mm-hmm. Um, both the... Um, African-American folks and the taker, the racist taker of the Snapchat um, are season ticket holders. Yes.
1: Uh, So the Lions have banned the person who took the picture um, from Lions Games. He has already surrendered his season tickets. Stacy is the name of the woman in the photograph and she Um, Explained that the reason why she does not stand for the national anthem is because in the third stanza of the national anthem it talks about killing slaves. And um, she is not going to stand for an anthem that celebrates that. Um, And she said that she would have been fine with the fact that he took the picture. It was just the ignorant comments that he made, the ignorant and racist comments that he made um, that went along with it that she had a problem with. So uh, all I know about the person who took the picture is that he's a business owner in Pontiac, Michigan. That's. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's a short racism is bad story.
0: Um, yeah, so don't be racist. Um, don't.
1: I don't know why we need to say these things. <sighs> it's like 2017, and I am constantly reminding
0: people to not be racist. Yeah, it's just. I don't know. I mean, like, who are these? First of all, like, who are the two fans that were sitting there hurting? They were literally not bothering anybody. I mean, unless you choose to be bothered. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not... Inter- I mean, this is the same issue with Colin Kaepernick, right? Like, he is doing the... They're engaging in, like, the quietest form of protest As they possibly right. can. Mm-hmm. And that's still not good enough for people. Yeah.
1: Like, ugh. I don't... I have a really hard time with sort of understanding how people get so wrapped up in the symbols of this country. I like this country very much and I'm glad that I was born and raised here and I don't take for granted a second the freedoms that I have living here versus like if I had to live somewhere in Asia. But like these are symbols and it is our right guaranteed by our Bill of Rights that we can protest these things. And like when people got so upset over flag burning, I'm like, you know, burning a flag is the most, that's the way you're supposed to dispose of old flags, one so flags get burnt all the time and two it's like you know it's just this is how like this isn't hurting anybody they're like putting their position out there in the world they're not like setting your house on fire or anything it's just yeah I don't understand I just don't
0: get it no and I mean this also goes for the whole like property is more valuable than people Mm -hmm. crew who drive me out of my fucking mind (laughs) I you know I, I just I don't know like if a bunch of folks who are pissed off that you know black kids are getting gunned down the street by police want to like knock over a statue does not bother me (laughs) in the least like it's all right maybe you could show your anger in a more productive way i suppose but Mm -hmm. you know you're getting more riled up about a busted up statue than you are about dead people Mm -hmm. just seems really like, you need to work on your priorities. Yeah, and um,
1: it's, it's, the protest is symbolic, the anthem is symbolic, like, honestly, I would be much happier if you're like, yeah, we should reform the VA and make sure that, like, veterans yeah. are actually getting the healthcare that they need and should be receiving, like, yeah. where's, like, why aren't we talking about that instead? We're just wrapping ourselves up in these, like, stupid
0: symbols. Yeah, I mean, and it's weird. Did you, growing up, have to, like, stand up every day for the Pledge of Allegiance?
1: Yes, but that was because we were always outside, and we had to stand anyways, because otherwise we'd be sitting on the floor of the playground. Like, we were already
0: standing. But we had to do the Pledge of Allegiance every day. Oh yeah, every day. It's fucking weird. (laughs) Like, why are we indoctrinating children to, like, announce a Pledge of Allegiance to your country? I mean, I don't know, it just... Why is that something we start every day off with? Why do we start sporting events off listening to national anthem? What the fuck does sports have to do with our country? Like I don't, I don't know. It's and this, I guess that's why it's. I also find it frustrating when people will say to athletes like, "Stick to sports. Don't talk about politics." Like we have this implied politis politis politicization. Yes. Of <laughs> sporting events all the time. Exactly,
1: those are fighter jets from the U.S. government yeah. that fly over here stadiums, like during. The pick-up. National Guard in
0: Massachusetts pays the Patriots <laughs> to do little celebrations for them at oh. games. I think it's the Massachusetts National Guard. It might be some other yeah, it's, arm of the military. it's
1: crazy. Yeah. So we did do the pledge of, Alleg- pledge of allegiance growing up, but we never like we would sing songs, but they weren't necessarily like you know, America, the beautiful or the Star Spangled Banner. We had just like a we just had like a catalogue of songs that we would sing after the pledge just to get us going for the day, I guess.
0: Just seems like the start to a movie of about authoritarianism. Like nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's but yeah, I mean I think to your point, like I don't know, i'm not I'm not a member of the military, um but I can't imagine that folks are going across the world to you know fight and die for a piece of fabric or a song like they're it's the freedoms that those things represent and mm-hmm. the freedom to say like I'm not participating in this because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of troubling things about my government, and I'm not gonna sit here and pretend like it's okay, yeah, yeah, um,
1: so. Really, there's no easy way to transition into our next batch of stories, but
0: no. But uh, I mean, they're a little bit lighter. So thanks it's for fine. hanging in there with us through. For <laughs> yeah. that.
1: Um, so we are now going to do our three-minute warning. Um, just a bunch of stories to catch you up on, and some new stuff too. Um,
0: Can but- we talk about farmer Bro first? Because I feel like that <laughs> it's a real, it's a nice turn from what we were just talking about. Cause I'm it's happy to talk. Fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, um, if, for those of you who haven't been paying attention, um, Martin Shkreli was released on bond, right, pending sentencing, um, for his conviction of securities fraud. He is, you know, he was living at home, I'm sure there was, like, an ankle monitor or something, whatever, um, until a sentencing hearing in January 16, 2018, but that's been revoked because... He uh, basically is an ongoing risk to the community.
0: (laughs) So Martin Shkreli has been advocating for people who follow him on social media um, to show up at Hillary Clinton book signings. Hillary Clinton has um, written a book and she's doing a tour for that book and doing book signings on her tour for that book. Um, He's been advocating for people to go and rip chunks of hair out of her head uh, I'm not sure why. If it's just to be a fucking weirdo, no, or if he's like trying to get her DNA I for something. It,
1: I think it's because I, I think it's because it is for the DNA, um, because he believes that he has like some sort of timeline for. It's, like, some stuff going down. I don't know if it's related
0: to... Wasn't he advocating that she was sick during the Yeah, um, it's something. I think
1: he wants her DNA to test her for something. But in any event, he was offering a $5,000 bounty for a strand of her hair.
0: Um, So, that's not okay. I mean, whatever your politics are, that's fucking creepy to say, like, oh, go find this famous woman and rip hair out of her head, please. Uh, (coughs) So, the judge, in his case... Well, I guess the Secret Service heard about this and got very upset. Yeah, um, which Martin Shkreli didn't understand why that would bother them. Um, And sorry, (laughs) I I actually snarped. If you didn't hear that, I'm just going to own that. But Um, so yeah this kind of blew up and um his bail was revoked his lawyers were begging for him to get another chance Mm -hmm. and the judge just had had.
1: well it's not his first instance he was harassing that journalist Mm
0: -hmm. so you know this is who said she would rather eat her (laughs) organs than go on a date with him which is a beautiful comeback but anyway
1: (laughs) so so yes he so he is now inmate number eighty-seven eight five zero 53 at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> he has no internet access. He is in Gen Pop for. Um, oh and, boy! Yes, <laughs> and he will be there until his sentencing hearing. Sentencing hearing in January, so four months at least. That's gonna be rough. Yeah,
0: jail's no joke. No.
1: Uh-uh. <laughs> so there was an article. Um, I don't remember what publication it was in, but they interviewed a former securities trader. Who was in um, MDC for short for several months, and he talked about the deplorable conditions in jail, like how there could be two to twenty people in a cell, like you know the shared the, the steel toilet in the middle, um, how there's really like a lack of sunlight in a lot of cells, and there's not a like there's not lots of spaces where you can actually get out and do exercise, and he says solitary confinement is way worse because it's just, like, cockroaches and rats and mice, and um, so this is not the country club jail that you're thinking of that he might eventually be sentenced to for, you know, federal mm-hmm. securities fraud. Um, no, this is, like, he's in there with, like, murderers and rapists and, like, all manner of terrible human beings. Yeah. Which, and
0: which I, he is one, so it's I fine. Mean, he's a, yeah, he's awful, um, and I feel like I should clarify at this point, I'm laughing because of schadenfreude uh, towards Martin Shkreli, not the deplorable conditions in which we hold prisoners in this country, which I could do multiple podcasts just on <laughs> my thoughts on that issue. Um, you know, these are these are still people regardless of what they've done, mm-hmm. we should treat them like that, not like caged animals. Um, but, for as long as we do uh, have these terrible conditions, I really cannot muster any sympathy that uh, Martin Shkreli is now having to uh, live in them.
1: No, I mean, and, I, and you're right, it is Sean Freda. I mean, he is so smug. He's like, awful. He is awful.
0: And uh Yeah, I'd compounding the shot in Florida, unless you had anything more you wanted to discuss. No, about no, no. Skills. I'm just
1: I'm just waiting for you to talk about the second part of it. Oh, it's
0: so great. So um Martin Shakrelli, among the other things that he's known for, he is also um well known as the uh purchaser of the one copy of the Wu-Tang clan album Once Upon a Time in Shaolin. Um, which sold for $2 million to Mr. Shkreli in 2015. Um, Turns out he's now trying to sell that album. He's apparently never listened to it all the way through. He's only heard a couple of minutes of it. Um, And basically was just really proud that he could hold on to it and not let anyone else listen to it. Um, But turns out... It may not actually be an official Wu-Tang Clan album. <laughs> um,
1: uh, that is like you, this, the, the bigness of the smile on my face. I can't actually
0: begin to describe to you. So the story goes that the folks, members of Wu-Tang Clan, I mean, I think it, they've had nine or ten members. Mm -hmm. It's sort of a rotating group of rappers who are all identified as Wu-Tang Clan, but like any kind of combination of them Mm -hmm. can be considered Wu-Tang Clan. As I understand the band, I'm not a Wu Tang clan scholar.
1: Um, (laughs) No, but it is like, it's sort of like a clan. There's like loose affiliations, and
0: then there's people who do side projects. Method Man and Red Man are actors now. Mm -hmm. Um, So apparently, a bunch of the folks who participate in Wu Tang clan, including You God um, and. Which? Killison. Oh. I want to say I read Ghostface Killer was also a part of this, um, but they recorded verses for what they believe to be an album for silver rings yes who is basically a
1: protege of
0: rizzo yes right? mm-hmm, um, so they didn't think that they were and then those verses found their way onto this once upon a time in shaolin album mm-hmm. um, so they didn't realize they didn't think they were participating in a wu-tang clan album mm-hmm. and now they're claiming that for that reason it's not actually a wu-tang clan album Um, I would think the only problem with that is that it was quite well publicized that this thing was being sold as As a a Wu-Tang Clan album, and nobody spoke up at the time, Mm -hmm. but um, it still makes me feel really good that Martin Shkreli paid $2 million for something that is not what he was sold.
1: Yes. Uh, No, that is just, that's the most brilliant part. Um, Yeah, so as you said, like Wu-God and Killison, they both... Have said at the time that they believed that they were recording um, for this other project, and they didn't quite realize that this was a Wu Tang production. Um, you got is suing uh, RZA and Wu Tang Productions for not being paid for his work on this album. Uh, so is Killison, I believe. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I don't think that it changes, uh, like whether it's a Wu Tang. Plan album or not it's just the fact that they weren't really paid for it and i think killison said at the time uh when he was doing the recording silver ring says oh this is like a really small project i don't have the money for it um this is not like as you said a wu-tang production this is more of a a smaller sort of um side project so
0: and i guess um silver rings and rizza um when they uh, they headed up the auction Um, And when they were auctioning the album, they uh, said they created it with the rest of the Wu-Tang Clan in order to restore the monetary value of music Mm -hmm. at a time when online downloading had rendered it more difficult to make, for artists to make money.
1: Yeah, and RZA has said that it's essentially, like they sold it as a Wu-Tang album because it would make the project more valuable so they could raise more money, or they could extract more money.
0: Uh, And... Method Man also recorded verses for the album mm-hmm. um, and had the same basic comments that he thought was for a Silver Rings album. Mm-hmm. When did this become a Wu Tang album? No mm-hmm. one told us that. So,
1: so you know, we've talked about how much Martin Shkreli is a garbage human on this podcast. Only not only today, but in previous pods. But I just thought that um, the comment made by juror number fifty nine as part of his securities case <laughs> was something that I should just mention before we close this topic for today. Juror number 59 said, and I quote, Your Honor, totally he's guilty, and in no way can I let him slide out of everything. And then juror 59 then said, and he disrespected the Wu-Tang Clan, (laughs) and he was out.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think those are all valid feelings. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I have a friend who got out of jury duty. Uh, She's also a listener, so I won't name her. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) who got out of jury duty, very genuinely, um, it was a case that was dealing with like a corporation and their personhood. Um, And so one of the voir dire questions was, do you believe that a um, corporation is a person? She was like, no, a person is a person. Like, that's crazy. (laughs) Um, And then I think they pressed her a little more to see if she was kind of making Mm -hmm. up this belief to get out of jury duty. And it Became obvious. She genuinely believed that that was a crazy position to take. And so didn't have to participate.
1: Have you ever gotten to the point where you had to offer up excuses?
0: No, I've, um, I'm, I think I've only, I've been called for jury duty three times. Mm-hmm. I've only made it in the room once. I was pretty disappointed. It would have been a really cool case. It was a guy. I looked it up afterwards. It was a guy who, he, I think his plan was to kick off like some kind of civil war by shooting up the ACLU in San Francisco. Oh, wow. That's my recollection <laughs> of the story. But he got caught in the East Bay on his way to come into San Francisco and then had a shootout with CHP officers at my old exit when I lived in Oakland. Oh. Uh, I was not living there at the time. And so he, uh,. Yeah, it was all, like, caught kind on of tape. I don't know why he was going to trial for attempted murder, but um, that would have been kind of interesting. That would have it's been pretty kind of interesting, yes. Yeah. But that's the only case I've oh. even gotten close on. I've So I've been called for jury duty at least three
1: times. I've made it into the box twice. Mm. I've been bounced twice, and I think, I know at least one of the times like, they express concerns because they don't really like lawyers on juries because they think, one, we're bossy, no. two, we'll take over, and three, we'll, like, infect the rest of the jury with, like, whatever legal ramblings we have.
0: Yeah, and we know about jury nullification. Yeah. so if they lose the lawyer, then mm-hmm. um, they're fucked. Yeah. It's usually... I had to go for jury... I had to show up for jury duty the week after I took the bar exam. Oh. And so I didn't even... I sat for, like, four hours and wrote a book, and (laughs) they didn't even call me into the courtroom, so... Um, I got called,
1: uh, my first semester of law school, literally the week before finals. Oh,
0: nice.
1: And the judge... When I explained to them like what I did, what my profession yeah. was, and where I was in the school calendar, the judge basically like let me go right at that time. It wasn't even like one of the lawyer's picks. <laughs> she was like,
0: you can go home now. No. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think it'd be... I'd like to be on a jury yeah, someday. me too. It's a very important part of your civic, civic duty. duty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of the concerns about our legal system are that they are the type of people that um we don't get a good cross-section of the community in juries Mm -hmm. and so people aren't always being judged by a jury of their peers um so don't try to get out of jury duty i know it's a pain in the ass but um
1: yeah it's i think it's it's a
0: really excellent
1: exercise to understand how the judicial system works yeah yeah um so okay we have that was a, (laughs) a weird little rabbit hole thanks juror number 59 um but i think we'll move on to an update on charles oakley So if you remember uh, Charles Oakley got into a scuffle at Madison Square Garden because he and James Dolan got into a bit of a shouting match. He, Charles Oakley was ejected from Madison Square Garden in sort of a, like, kind of a dramatic fashion. I mean, he's a very tall gentleman, obviously, as a with former... A
0: beautiful gray hair now, <laughs> so it really stands out.
1: And there are these, like, tiny security guards, like, trying to move him, and there was, like, a physical altercation at some point. But he um, was arrested and charged with um, trespass and misdemeanor assault. Um... And he pled uh, away those charges. He agreed to stay away from Madison Square Garden for at least a year and to do something else for six months. I can't remember what else he agreed to do for like six months. Maybe it was like not engage James Dolan or something like that. In any event, if he stays away from MSG for a year, then the charges will be dropped. Um, But as part of his plea deal, he did not waive the right to sue James Dolan in Madison Square Garden civilly. And that's exactly what he's done. So.
0: I think it was that the charges will be dropped if he stays out of trouble for six months. Oh, okay.
1: In addition to staying out of Madison Square Garden for a year. Right. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, So he filed um, suit in federal court in, I think, the Southern District of New York uh, with 10 counts. These aren't all 10, but it's like basically defamation, battery, false imprisonment, violations of the American with Disabilities Act, um, and, you know, laundry list of things. For how he was treated
0: at um, the garden that night. And are the defamation claims also stemming from Dolan's comments yeah. that he has anger management and alcohol problems? Yes, correct. Which is just. Uh,
1: so, well, and <laughs> his ADA claims also stem from yeah. the alcohol comments. So, it's actually kind of an interesting theory. And if you want to read in greater depth of this for this legal theory, I would. You know, Michael McCann at Sports Illustrated basically does our job for us. Um, So the argument and the theory for him goes is that uh, MSG is a public facility, Oakley is not an alcoholic, but Dolan's perception of him as an alcoholic denied him, or his belief that he is an alcoholic denied him access on the basis that he was one. And alcoholism is a disability in certain circumstances under the ADA. So it sort of like turns it on his head. He's like, I'm not one, but it's your perception of the fact, it's your perception of me as one that denied me access. I don't know that I buy that MSG is a public facility though. I mean, it's like, I know there's the train station underneath, which is a public facility, but like inside in the basketball, like you can't, can you just walk in as a member of the public at any time?
0: I don't think so. I don't know, I've never tried to get into MSG outside of like going to an event there, Mm -hmm. but as a facility that's open to the public and why am I forgetting the very famous is it public accommodation is that just like the general term
1: that probably is yeah
0: so I think under that theory it would qualify like it doesn't need to be like a public a public, public facility building I think it's the idea and I will confess that I know something about the ada as it relates to employment issues but mm-hmm. not like uh, access issues right and I like I think the distinction becomes if you have a facility that's open to the public versus like your private home to necessarily need to be That's ada fair. compliant mm-hmm. um, that being said i just wonder if the where's the line drawn between someone who has alcoholism as a disease and disability versus like a drunk asshole who's causing trouble mm-hmm. um, and i guess it's is it the idea that you have to wait until they become the inebriated person who's causing a public nuisance yeah. But you can't keep them out just because you believe them to be um, to have a drinking problem if they don't pose a like immediate threat.
1: So uh, Dolan and MSG's arguments will meet will basically be like the means by ejecting him were reasonable, and that he was ejected not because he has anger management issues or because he's an alcoholic, but because he posed a threat to the people oh, in okay. his section around him. Um, Yeah, it's a, I don't know, it's... uh, Part of Michael McCann's article talked about how, like, in the aftermath of the uh, ejection and the arrest, like, Dolan really sort of framed the narrative. Like, he tweeted and he talked excessively on radio about how Oakley has these anger issues and how he has these alcohol problems, and he really, like, Oakley did not come out and, like, defend himself. Like, and Dolan took up a lot of airwaves about, like, these suppositions and presumption he was making so the i think the idea is that the civil suit is really oakley's opportunity to like poke dolan back in the eye for all that shit that happened but um i don't know dolan doesn't seem like he's he's that great of a human being um but he also doesn't like to settle in court no no he let uh the Knicks and isaiah thomas get the other isaiah thomas not the one who's now a cavalier uh, gets sued by the woman making the allegations about sexual harassment and they lost bigly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they did. Um, Yeah. James Dolan. I mean, I think his arrogance is going to be his Mm -hmm. downfall yet again. Um, Yeah. It's not a good, not a good look. Um, I mean, it never was picking a fight with a beloved Nick, since I don't know that there were that many of them. Uh, <laughs> and the fans don't like James Dolan. I yeah. think it's a general rule. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, we'll see where this goes. As far as I'm aware, he's still, Oakley's still banned from MSG for the upcoming season. and mm-hmm.
1: uh, Which his lawyer has said is no skin off his nose because he wasn't planning on going to any games anyways.
0: You can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> exactly. That's pretty
1: much it. Um, and so then our other update is that the Alan Thick estate um, lawsuit has been dismissed. So uh, I don't know Burke if you remember all the details, but I believe like his sons were suing the new wife yeah his the most new recent
0: wife. So Alan Thick I think has three sons, none of whom are the children of his the woman he was married to when he died. Um, they, Alan Thicke, had a bunch of property. I believe the, my recollection is the, the he owned a ranch mm-hmm. that he left to at least two of the sons, but at the same time also said that the wife could keep living there. She was like, had a life estate essentially yeah. and living at the ranch. Um, and her allegation was that the boy, the sons, they're not boys, they're adult men, wanted to use the property to basically turn into a pot farm, um, which with California's um, upcoming, uh, allowance for recreational use of marijuana in January of 2018 is, you know, there were a lot of people who were trying to, it seems, trying to, um, build up pot farms in anticipation mm-hmm. of that date. Um, Tanya Thick refused to go along with that and they needed her sign off in order to use the land in that way, so then they sued her.
1: Yeah, um, their theory was that she was trying to change the prenup, um, right. and, um, and trying so trying to contest her her life estate at the ranch. So I think it it, it the petition was dismissed ultimately because Tanya thick said that she wasn't challenging the prenup, so there was no yeah, so it sort of mooted the case. Um, but I did find in I think maybe it was like the Daily Mail in in England what the prenup was made was contained like what her uh, what she was getting yeah. under the prenup. So she would get a half a million dollars from a life insurance policy, 25% of Alan Thicke's personal effects, all the furniture at the ranch, um, all of his death benefits from his various pensions because he was a member of like SAG and stuff, uh, 40% of the estate after certain requests were made, and then the life estate at the ranch. Um, so that's, pretty, yeah, that's a pretty good deal.
0: And it seems like everybody... Feels it can at least save face here because Robin Thicke and his brother. So it was just Robin Thicke and his brother Brennan, who I believe are both Alan Thicke's sons, with Gloria Lauren, who was a soap opera star in the 80s. Um, they are both saying, you know, we're really glad to hear that she's not contesting the validity of the prenup. Mm-hmm. Tanya Thicke can say, you know, I lost got dismissed. Um, I am not in the wrong here. I can continue using the ranch house. Um, where my beloved late husband and I enjoyed so many wonderful <laughs> times. And um, so since everyone's got a little bit of cover, they can hopefully move towards a peaceful relationship, which appears to be th- what their stated goals are. Yes.
1: Did you see the picture of Alan Thicke's headstone in any of the articles you read? <laughs> no. <laughs> so it's, it's very, it's it's not like a large, I'm pointing it out not because it was like a large gaudy one. It's, I think it says like there's a, there's a maple leaf and it says proud Canadian or beloved oh, nice. Canadian
0: so I mean he was a favorite son I think. Yeah, Canada, yeah. Um, so. And uh, yeah, <laughs> well that's lovely. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so then moving on to our second to last story, this is our last big three minute warning. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme's son uh, Nicholas? Yes. Was With no H. <laughs> was arrested, right? And charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, unlawful imprisonment, and possession of uh, drugs and drug paraphernalia.
0: Yes. So Nicholas, um, who has this like jean Claude Van Damme's actual last name, Van Vandenberg, Varenberg, Van yeah. Varenberg, um, he apparently like kept his roommate hostage in their apartment in Tempe, Arizona, um, at knife point, wouldn't let him leave the um, the site. Then they found um, Van Varenberg with a big gash on his hand after punching an elevator, which, why not? <laughs> um, the cops left and then came back, because then the roommate called um, about being held at knife point.
1: So do you know why the... the so I when I read it, it, was the cops were there to do a welfare check. So whose welfare were there? Was it because Van, Van Varenberg punched an elevator? I think like,
0: so. That's okay. what this... The story that I read seemed to indicate that they showed up because he punched this elevator. He was bleeding all over the place, and they came to check on him. Oh. Um, when they realized, I guess, he was just had a big cut on his hand but was mm-hmm. otherwise fine, they left, and that's when he came for his roommate and the the roommate called the cops and they showed back up and found a knife, marijuana, and drug paraphernalia at the residence and then arrested him.
1: So the reason why, or at least the purported reason why, um, Nicholas Van Berenberg held the knife, held his roommate, uh, hostage with the knife is because he was upset that the roommate let the cops into the apartment in the first place. So, uh, so... But they didn't. I mean, they did a welfare check. They obviously did not arrest him for having the drugs. Which presumably, find it yeah, exactly. Which presumably, I'm like, that's what he was upset about. But yeah. now that he's created this bigger issue, then he got charged with it,
0: right.
1: the drug issues. So just to, you know, as an FYI, there are only a handful of reasons why the police can come into your home. And one of those is if the person that you share the home with provides consent to them if they don't have a warrant or they don't have reasonable cause or if there's no exigent circumstance if the person that you live with says yeah sure come on in they can come in
0: now I think my recollection from um, evidence in criminal procedure classes are that they like if the the roommate and Van Varenberg. Just that roommates, like they didn't share a bedroom, mm-hmm. that Van Varenberg's bedroom would be off limits Correct. to the cops. The common um, areas would not be right. But, but they, he, like your roommate can't give. Again, if you share separate rooms, um, they, the roommate can't give um, consent for the police to enter your private bedroom. Mm-hmm. But yes, common areas. So if you're bong and all your weed <laughs> is sitting on the, of the living room, then you're in trouble. Yeah, um, theoretically. But mm-hmm. apparently, they didn't fi- either they didn't find it or it didn't bother them enough at the time. To- to exactly. do anything about it so um so, yeah he yeah. he dodged a bullet and then self-inflicted a wound <laughs>
1: exactly <laughs> that's i mean that's exactly how i felt when i read the story yeah. like this wouldn't have been a big deal at all except for the fact that he decided to hold his roommate hostage
0: right don't use drug although just i've never heard of somebody who smoked pot that wasn't like somehow badly adulterated and got... I mean, well, I guess oh, he could have been paranoid, maybe. Yeah. I'm like, why... What would possess him to get that angry and not realize, like, oh, all right, well, it was stupid, why'd you call the police? But um, it's fine. Nothing bad happened.
1: I'm trying to remember the name of the movie that Nicholas Van Berenberg is now going to be in. Um, it's a... Uh, oh. It is a Jean-Claude
0: Van Damme movie, I believe. Kickbox Retaliation. Thank you. Which is the... I don't know that it's a remake of Kickboxer. One of the greatest. Bloodsport is the greatest Sean (laughs) Claude Van Damme movie, other than maybe JCBD, which is, but it's a different type of film. Mm -hmm. Um, But Kickboxer's up there. Yeah, Um, no, I would have to. Once more, he does splits, right? In the Capoeira. Yes. 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 It's a great movie.
1: Um, (laughs) So, all right. So then the very last thing is just let you know um we talked about ezekiel elliott i think on the last podcast
0: might have been two podcasts podcasts before
1: so in any event um mr henderson whose first name i can't remember i want to say harry but i know that's not harry (laughs) um he is a private arbitrator upheld the suspension of ezekiel elliott The NFLPA and Ezekiel Elliott then went into court and got an injunction um, to prevent the NFL from implementing the suspension. That injunction was granted um, this past week by a judge in Texas. Big surprise! Um, The NFLPA, I'm sorry, and the NFL now is appealing that injunction And they've requested a stay of implementing that injunction until the appeal is heard. And I think the NFL's attorneys have asked for a decision from the Fifth Circuit by September 19th. So we can have an update for you for our next podcast. But we just wanted to let you know that we were aware that things were happening and we're on top of it.
0: Um, And what's interesting, I think we discussed this as part of the last last time we talked about Ezekiel Elliott, was that you know, what uh, What the NFL has managed to do in a lot of these cases is that they win the race to the courthouse, basically, and are able to, when there's a controversy like this, they're able to file a lawsuit in New York, Southern District of New York, which is considered friendly to them. Mm-hmm. Um, Ezekiel Elliott and his fo- his people and the NFLPA beat them to the punch on this one and filed the lawsuit in Texas. Part of the NFL's argument was that this was a premature filing Um Yes. And part of it was that, and part of their argument was also that the uh, Northern District of Texas didn't have any jurisdiction in the case, which was obviously rejected as a legitimate argument.
1: So the reason why it was premature is because the arbitrator had
0: an issue. He
1: has an issue. So he basically came out and said, I'm upholding the suspension, but his written decision is not out. So you don't know the rationale for why he upheld the suspension, any of those things. So, I mean, I sort of do agree that it is like uh, over vacating an arbitration award is just like on very narrow ground. So the judge had no grounds for which to vacate that award but he had actually hasn't vacated the award he's just enjoined
0: right and i guess their argument would be it kind of doesn't matter what the rationale for how he reached his decision is his decision is to suspend me and that's going to become your ir- an irreparable harm as soon as the season starts and so that's why we need the injunction now yeah um and we had this discussion when offline. we
1: did i No, I don't think we have. But I know we talked about it the last time we talked about Ezekiel Elliott, which is that it actually there's no harm to him. There's harm to his team. But there's no actual harm to Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, because whatever harm that happens to him can be made up with money. He's losing game checks. They can just write him the game checks if the suspension is not upheld. But, like, when the whole Tom Brady thing, everyone talked about basically, like, how it was great that he had the four games off. Right. Which basically was like, I can save myself for the rest of the season into the playoffs. The less someone is on the field, the less likely it is is that they're going to hurt themselves or get hurt or...
0: Yeah, and I guess it would have to be a much longer suspension for them to make the argument that, like, I have a short career, yeah. and this is my, like, 16 games to, like, if it's a contract year, yeah. this was my time to, like, mm-hmm. make all this... Now, again, I guess it could be repaired by money, but how do you figure out, you know, what somebody, if they had had an excellent... Like, what are the chances they would have had an amazing season and gotten this incredible contract, mm-hmm. and yes. I don't know if that's an issue for Ezekiel Elliott, because A, it's not... I mean, it's a long suspension, but it's not a whole season. And I don't think he's looking for a new yes. contract next year or so.
1: And I think it's even a harder argument to make for him because if you're talking about, like, Joe Smith, who is a journeyman who is going to have a three-year yeah. NFL career, that's one thing. But you're talking about, like, a marquee player who presumably will be around for a long time, barring injury, and basically, if he's not on the field, he's not getting injured. Like, right. that's that's the hard part for me to be like i don't know how they got their injunction so we'll be on top of that for our next podcast but that's
0: that's our lengthy list of topics today yeah we have a lot to talk about thanks for everyone who hung in there with us um and as always although i realize i have not checked our um gmail in a while but i will do <laughs> that um if you want to reach out to us you can find us on social media at um twitter and instagram our handle is ufr underscore bg um you can check out our website under further review dot, BG dot com. No. Uh, no it's dash BG. dash bg dot com. Shit. <laughs> uh, and uh you can email us at underfurtherreview.bg at gmail.com. Correct. Um so please also um continue to subscribe to us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Rate and review us. We really appreciate it. Um and I think that's everything. Yep, that's it for me. Alright, thanks all. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.